Every one of us has a closet story. Everybody listening to this podcast has something they're hiding in a closet that they don't want somebody else to know about. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It has everything to do about you being authentically who you want to be in the world. This is A Joyful Rebellion, the podcast that explores that moment you realize the life and success you worked so hard to create didn't come with all the fulfillment you thought it would. I'm your host, James Walters, and I want you to be the author of your own story. Each week, I connect with people who inspire bold answers to the question, what do I do now to create a life I love? If you're ready to start answering that question for yourself, you're in the right place. So let's start a joyful rebellion. My guest today is Rick Clemens, podcast host and author of the book, Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay, a late bloomer guide to coming out. Rick explains that every one of us is in some sort of closet and why coming out is our life's journey toward living authentically. Oh, and spoiler alert, much of this conversation has nothing to do with sexuality and everything to do with unapologetically owning who we really are. After all, isn't that the ultimate joyful rebellion? I'm really happy to have you here. I've been wanting to talk to you because this podcast, it really explores the time in a person's life when they realize they've lost a piece of themselves, like their authentic self to really the expectations of the world around them. And a lot of times what that does is it creates this crisis of identity and it leads to a desire to reclaim or in most cases, like reinvent how they show up in the world. And I really wanted to talk to you because your mission is helping men who are in a very specific circumstance to do that very thing. And sometimes when I'm talking to someone, it's about career, it's about family, or it's about how maybe your parents expect you to raise your kids or that kind of thing. But you help men in a certain situation. So I wanted to talk to you about what led up to you doing this and your own joyful rebellion you had in your life to bring you to this conversation today. Absolutely, man. We can definitely go all that. If somebody would have told me years ago that when I came out of the closet that it would lead me to having a podcast and books and I would have said, no way, it's never going to happen. But we can get into that in the podcast for sure. Yeah. (laughs) When it came to starting all of this, what was it for you? What was that moment that you looked at your life and you said something's got to change? You had to present yourself differently or you wanted to. Which one of those was it? Did you feel like you had to or you wanted to? Both, honestly. It was such an interesting crossroads that hit. I knew I was gay from 19 years old, but then societal pressure, family pressure, religious pressure, all this stuff. I'm like, okay, this is a passing phase. Let's work through it. And at 19, I came out and I went back in the closet, met somebody that I fell in love with. We had a good life together. We raised, we were raising two girls, but there was this pebble in my shoe that literally is, I can't keep living this dual life. And that's literally what I was living, was a dual life. Anytime I got to travel, I was not faithful. And that's not something I'm proud of, but it's my story Mm. and it's my truth. And I believe in being at this stage of my life, I'm just like, this is my truth. I'm going to speak it. And there was a crossroads where I met somebody that I was like, oh, wow, this was completely different than anybody else I'd met. It wasn't, I'm going to say it wasn't immediate love, but it was, but it Mm. was more that I met this guy. We went for a typical quote hookup before hookup culture was even a thing. Okay. This is clear back in the nineties. Yes, we didn't call it then. And actually nothing really happened. Mm. We spent the night together, but nothing sexually happened. And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually what it could be like. And literally... Two days later, I flew home from London to LA and 
walked in and told my wife, this is the truth. And it was probably one of the hardest things I ever did in my life because I knew my whole world was about to implode. Wow. And that had always mm. been the thing that had kept me from doing it, man. Literally, you don't want this all to blow up. Everybody thinks you're, when I speak on stage about this whole story, James, the line in the talk is everybody thought he was a really great guy. Ricky's a great dad. He's a great husband. He's a wonderful guy to work with. He's always that guy you can depend on. And that's all that kept beating me over the head. Look at you. Everybody thinks, look at you. You're a great guy. Yeah. And inside, I was like, you're a complete asshole. You're a complete jerk. Yeah. Which was true and not true. It had been a lot of what I took on. And that's when I finally said, I've got to do something. And I don't ever say I considered suicide because mm -hmm. I didn't. And there was fleeting moments of, oh, I wonder what would happen if I just wasn't here. The only time anything even crossed my mind in that regard was the drive home from LAX to South Orange County, where I lived in California. And there were a couple of times I did look in the rearview mirrors. I'm like, oh, wow, there's a big rig right there in the next lane. Oh, from me. Yeah. I could just turn the wheel and nobody would ever know. But I knew in my heart that wasn't the way I wanted. I had two beautiful little girls that I wanted to see grow up and stuff. And that's when, to your point, a joyful rebellion began to really build. Because okay. in my heart, the, it was there. It was yeah. like, okay, this is time. You're brave enough. You're old enough, quote unquote, I was 36. This is where I get to take a stand for me. And that's how the whole journey began. It began yeah. at 19, but the real, sure. let's step into, okay, what does it mean to be authentically me? That's where it all started. That's where it all started. And what I'm curious about is at that point when you realized this, had you really started thinking about it to the extent of looking for some kind of support. Was there any support, like the support you provide to men right now through your coaching, through your podcast? Mm -hmm. Was there anything like that for you? Or were you just sure, straight up adrenaline? Was, okay. But, and it's so interesting, James, to see the same thing happen even present day. We've come a long ways in this world around this sort of stuff, long ways yet still to go. But the scary thing is, is for most people, men or women, it doesn't matter, walking into a place of support can be really scary. There were LGBTQ centers. There was one in Long Beach and LA, Orange County. And it was very similar to how I felt when I was in college. Like I would go in college, I would go sit outside of like a gay bar. I never went in. I never went in. I like literally sit outside and like, if I go in, somebody's going to see me. The same thing was happening as I was thinking through this. Okay, I could go in an LGBTQ center and try to get some support. But what if somebody sees me? And then I'm like, I could go see a therapist. But then well, why are you going to a therapist? So all these weird little nuances of thoughts, yeah, which is what we do best as humans is we create the story that isn't the story. So that's why I never did. Now, ironically, as soon as the explosion happened, we went down the path of getting some marriage and family therapy, mm -hmm. more so from my wife's benefit because she held on to, can we make this work? And I was like, no, I have, I can't like try to way to stay together and we do this and we, and that happens a lot. There's a lot of mixed orientation marriages out there hmm. that they do make it work. I knew for me, I would never ever in my heart be able to be that person. So we did use therapy as a means to dismantle the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I had that person to work through that with because she ended up becoming my therapist. My wife didn't like the answers she was hearing and Needless to say, we split ways with the therapist and I kept the therapist. I even asked permission. Can I keep seeing this therapist, even though you found her and it wasn't pretty, 
oh, so you're going to take that away from me too? I'm like, but you don't want to go to her. I really <laughs> enjoy going to her because it's yeah. helping. And long story short, yes, I felt like there were people out there. There's many more out there now. There's a lot of people who do exactly what I do. There's always been therapists who've worked in this realm. But when I came into the coaching world in 2009, I was very like, hey, I am going to work with men in midlife coming out of the closet. Mm. So they do it with dignity and respect for themselves and others. I was probably, I'm going to use the term handful. There was probably maybe a hundred or so around the globe that I had found. But in the grand scheme of the world, that's a handful. Yeah. That's a handful of people who did this work. And it's been really rewarding and very heart-wrenching at times because it's hard. You go through some of the hardest things you're ever going to go through with a person and their family. And sometimes it's not pretty. In fact, the majority of the time, it's not pretty. Every once in a while, you get the home runs. Okay, I get it. And as the world evolves, yeah. I think it's better, but we could go deep into why it's not pretty. There's all sorts of codependency and stuff that you, you start to reveal so much that was in those relationships. It's, oh, we're just, we're phoning it in. We're not really here. Well, and a lot of times in people's relationships, even if they have no, so for example, if it's a husband-wife relationship, it makes sense that the, the spouse might feel a sense of betrayal. But let's say you're, you've got your third cousin who you see maybe once every seven, eight years tops, maybe at a funeral, that kind of thing. But when they hear about it, they could feel that sense of betrayal because now you're not the person they thought you were. Right yep. now, you've got a completely different identity to them. Maybe it does or doesn't fit in with where they are in their mm -hmm. mindset of what's acceptable or what they will give their stamp of approval for. But I'm curious when it comes to those conversations you were having in your head on the way back from London, it extended beyond your wife, I'm sure, and your kids. Oh, yeah. It was like, okay, what are the people I work with going to think about? What are my friends who, the rest of your nuclear family that you grew up with, if you have siblings, that kind of thing. What did you get right about their reaction to your news? And what did you get wrong? Like when you were making those stories and you said, mm. so I'm, I'm sure this person's going to react this way. This person at work is going to say, oh yeah, we knew. Or what were those things that were bouncing around in your head that in hindsight you got right? And then what'd you get wrong? My relationship with my wife and my parents and my brother, I pretty much got right. My brother was a little more of a surprise. He had his own issues he was struggling through at the time. So that manifested itself in his own addiction. And then that came out as a projection towards me. Mm. My kids were too young. This is one of the hardest things to talk about, quite honestly, is my youngest was only 18 months old when all this, she was nine months old when it all unraveled. So she doesn't remember mom and dad ever having lived together. My oldest one has some memories. That was probably the most heart-wrenching part of this. Mm. Friends were interesting. It <laughs> depends on the layer of friendship. Okay. We were a fairly social couple. It was interesting in our little neighborhood friendship circle. Everybody just, okay, okay. Closer friendships, it was okay. And then after the fact, what was interesting, I don't want to say people took my side, but there was definitely, hey, this is who you are. Mm. And a few of my friends, closest friends, and even some just like external, like what I, I always, when I'm working with somebody on this, I'm like, okay, let's talk about your circles of influence. You're going to have the center target circle, which is your family, your closest people that you want to have that dialogue, with, mm -hmm. right? 
you really desire to have that conversation with them. Then you have the next ring out, which is people you would like to have the dialogue with, prefer to have it with, but if you don't get to, it may not be the end of the world, but you sure would prefer to get to have the conversation with them yourself. And then there's the third ring out that's everybody else. If they hear it through the grapevine, they hear it through the grapevine. And if they don't know anything different, you can do it. It was that second ring that was so interesting to me to watch how people reacted because I had friends who were like, hey, you need to be you. And you know what? She needs to get over it. And then there were those <laughs> wow. that were like, and she was okay. a bitch too. So it's oh. like, okay, let's not go there. Let's not right. go there. But, but then there were friends who were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you hid this from me. I had oh. one friend in particular who really went off on me. And I'm like, first of all, we were friends. It's been about six years since we work friends. So let's go there. It was work friends. It was about six years since we really had interacted a lot. Once or twice a year, we'd see each other. And she just, she couldn't let it go. She's like, oh. I can't believe for all those years you sat there and da, 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 da. I'm like, you're not me. Until you've stood in my shoes, you can't understand why. And that was the one that really surprised me. But yet I also stepped away from it, James. You know what? We were friends, but more acquaintances by that time that I'm like, I can't let this be like the end all be all. Yeah. But for the most part, it was pretty much what I expected. I knew my parents wouldn't like it. Took a lot of years. I'm talking a lot of years. They're very embracing of me and my husband. We obviously see them. We talk to them together. But in their own world, every once in a while, we were just there this past Thanksgiving and a friend of theirs came over and, oh, this is our son, Rick. And... and they didn't say friend. That was good. That's progress. Like, and his partner. And I'm like, I just wanted to go, it's my husband. It's just that simple, right? I think that's one of the things I learned most about myself, James, is let it go. Mm. Just let it go. Because in the grand scheme of life, as long as I'm content who I am and my authenticity, there will always be people, some of your listeners, who will have already formed opinions like, this guy's an asshole. It's just the way it is. But such a big growth thing. Yeah. What was that time frame where you were coming back from London, you were going to go blow things up, then to the point where you did start getting that therapy, you did start feeling like, hey, this is me. Anyone who has a problem with it is their problem, not my problem. It was years. It was, and immediately I was able to say it, but I was saying it from a wrong energy. Mm. It was like a screw you. This is who I am. I get to be this. Not to the point where I'm going to leave the kids. I don't want to, that was never any of my intention. My babies are my babies. They are the heart and soul of my being on this planet. But there were years. There was right out the gate, I was like, cool. And then there would be moments it was like really, my parents, especially, it was really tough. Like, you knew this when I was 19 and you told me to go talk to the pastor and all these sort of things. And it didn't work. It just didn't work. Mostly because the pastor was really good looking. It never was going to work. <laughs> I just sat there and noticed how good looking he was the whole time. It was ups and downs. Even pretty recently in the last couple of years, there was a period of time where I just finally said, I can't have a relationship with you, mom and dad. Mm. And that was tough because I'm at the time I was 57 or 58 and they're close to mid seventies. And as much as I want to, there's lines in the sand you learn to draw and it's tough, but it's like any human relationship, James. You, yeah. you find those boundaries. And if you don't set the boundaries, then you'll continue to have the problems you always have had. I like asking that question about how long it took because our society is, oh man, everything's so instant. If you want to mm -hmm. lose weight, if you want to get fit, whatever it is, a lot of times people, I've ordered stuff online and I got it later that afternoon and it wasn't food. So I won't say everyone, but a lot of people are expecting quick results. 
And mm. so many people I talk to when they have genuine growth, it does come from a decision that was not quite made in the moment, but some sort of inspiration that comes to them pretty quickly. But then mm -hmm. growing into it can take so much time to really feel comfortable with that decision, comfortable Absolutely. owning it and projecting it and telling everyone else this is how it is now. I know you you recently had a guest on Peter Young who talked about his cult escape. It's oh, yeah. the same thing. It's actually literally another form of coming out of the closet or even Mary Beth Robinson on Know Your Superpower. When you decide to own something like your superpower, there are going to be people all around you who are going to go, oh no, you can't do this, right? Because they have a, we all do this. As a parent, I have preconceived ideas about what my children should be doing. Right? Mm -hmm. And that was one of the greatest lessons I learned through this entire process. And it's not done. I haven't stopped learning is if I want people to give me the freedom and respect to be authentically who I am, I need to be willing to give that back in return. And I used to caveat, I still caveat a little bit. And my caveat is always provided it's not hurting somebody else, like mm. literally like physically hurting, harming, mentally, which gets a little gray because somebody can say, well, you mentally hurt your wife and everybody. Okay. I get that. Mm. But I also admitted to here's my truth. And in that truth, I've now freed you to go take what you've learned from this experience and go be in your own world in your own way. And I think this is something that a lot of times, especially those of us who in your world are the rebels, we're going to go do the thing that we really want to do. You have to be ready to stand strong because there's going to be so many people who are going to go right up against you and say, mm -mm, mm -mm, yeah, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't fit my mold of who I see you being. Is that why you say, I saw a quote somewhere where you said, that coming out is everyone's journey in life. Mm -hmm. So is that what you mean by that? Yes, absolutely. So let's put it in a little bit of perspective. So I come out of the closet, 1999. Within six years, I had left the role I was in when I came out, started with a startup, got laid off from that one. I was not a good hire because I got laid off six years apart. But it was time. And one of the things I had to come out about is I want to be my own boss. I want to mm. be an entrepreneur. I can't tell you, James, how much of the same rhetoric I heard from people. What are you doing? You're going to ruin your life. You're never going to have money. You're, you're going to work so hard. Why don't you just go get a nine to five? And that's not in my DNA, but that is something I had to come out about too. Nope, this is what I'm going to go do. And as I work with entrepreneurs, because I work with quite a few entrepreneurs in my world too, if you're going to start a podcast, you're going to write a book, you're going to you know, build courses, you're going to become what you want to be, a coach or whatever it is, you need to get some tough skin. First, it's hot, not easy to do any of this. Yeah. Secondly, you're going to have so many naysayers who are going to keep trying to pull you away. And whether it's that or admitting to somebody, not because you're gay or lesbian or any of that, that, hey, this relationship, it's just not for me. You just came out of the closet about that. So every little thing, think about how many people hide the truth of their physical wellness from people because they don't want anybody else to worry mm -hmm. at the coming out in its own self. And I know I'm a two-time stroke survivor and I'm very conscious of my own relationship with my parents and about what's going on with me physically because at their age and they're great they're late 70s early 80s they get around just fine but the last thing i want to do is be putting undue stress and worry on them about my health when they've got their own stuff they're dealing with mm -hmm. so there's a little closet i'm hiding some stuff in but when i do share it's okay i'm giving you a little piece of what's in my closet that i'm hiding right and every one of us has a closet store Everybody listening to this podcast has something they're hiding in a closet that they don't want somebody else to know about. That's 
Absolutely true because sometimes it's their own creativity, their hopes and dreams, and they're just mm-hmm. too afraid to say it because yep. it goes back to the question I asked about what did you get right and, and wrong about the people around you? Because sometimes you are afraid to be right and you're afraid that the people closest to you are going to discourage you or judge you or somehow think you're not worthy to be in their lives anymore. And yep. so you hold back. And it can be about anything. I love that you yeah. just brought up the creativity. There are so many people that I have in my world, have had on my podcast, have talked to. I can tell you that a lot of the creatives that I've had on my Life Uncloseted podcast over the years, I've had singers, Nashville country singers. I've had pop singers. I've had artists. The resounding thing, and guess what? A majority of them, a majority of them are in the LGBTQ space, but also a majority of them aren't. And they're like, yeah, I really didn't want people to know this is like what I wanted to do because I was supposed to be on the path to being a doctor or an accountant or Mm -hmm. whatever. And one guest in particular, I remember her breaking down on the podcast, like, this is one of the most refreshing things I've been able to say in my life was this was my destiny. Being able to sing, being able to be on a stage, being able to move clear out of Canada and across the globe to China to become one of the most well-known singers in China. And she goes, but I was supposed to be, and I don't remember exactly what she said she was supposed to be, but it was a very contrived existence. This is, I was supposed to be this. Wow. Yeah. And so it's just years ago, James, when I first, I started my coaching practice, then the podcast came along, then the first book. And by tripping into it, I started speaking at colleges and universities as a give back to the community. Mm -hmm. I kind of launched my speaking career. And I always say when I get the opportunity to be on stage, one of the most beautiful things that you could ever give yourself is the gift of realizing what's in your closet and what life could be like on the other side of the closet. That's a gift. And so many of us don't think through that. And I'm not, and I always say, because I'm talking very different crowds, I'm talking to huge college crowds, like, and it has nothing to do with sexuality. It has everything to do about you being authentically who you want to be in the world. Yeah. And that's a huge message, especially for people in college, because they are really at that point where they're often away from home just enough Mm -hmm. to start forming that identity of themselves. But also they're in a place where there's enough structure that it's easy to fall into the groove and just absolutely go with what college gives you, what the professors say, and think that's going to be true for you. So that's a really tricky part of life. It's a very tricky part of life. In fact, James, this whole concept of my brand of no fears, no excuses, no apologies. Yes, it grew out of my own coming out story, but it happened one night at a college. Mm. It was one of the very first times I was speaking and getting paid. And I got asked by a professor to come and speak to a whole big group, 600 students. It was a gender studies week. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll come. As I drove to that event, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Most of these kids had have heard me talk in various classes from psychology to sexuality to gender, whatever. But it was a new year. I'm like, okay, there'll be some fresh faces. But, oh my gosh, if I have to tell my coming out story one more time, I'm going to vomit all over the stage. (laughs) I got there and I started because, hey, this time it's real. I'm getting paid. I got to show up. And about halfway through, I thought something's got to shift here because a majority of these kids, they're here because they need to be here. But are they really relating to what I'm talking about? And I stopped in the middle of the talk and said, let's play a little game here. Actually, let's do a little experiment. Here's what I know to be true. About 
two to 3% of you out of the five or 600 that are sitting in this room, only two to 3% of you are going to fall into the world of LGBTQ+. But let's see if we can make this really come home and be true for you. And I'm not going to wave a gay magic wand and turn you queer <laughs> or anything. I said, I want you all to close your eyes. And as I ask these questions, raise your hand and keep your hand up. And please don't peek because I want everybody to get to experience what's about to happen. And James, I had never done this. This was literally, I was flying by the seat of my pants. It was complete improv. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going, but I always say it was divine intervention. Like this is, you need to do what you're about to do here. I want you to raise your hand if you're in this room for a class to get a grade. And then raise your hand if this class that you're here for is going to help you fulfill requirements to get your degree. And raise your hand if that degree at this college or university is because somebody else told you this is what you're supposed to go do in life. Now, everybody look around and open your eyes. Again, I didn't know what was happening, but I sure saw it as those hands started going up, James. Mm. And about 70% of the hands in that room were up. And I said, welcome to what it's like to be somebody who's LGBTQ and told, nope, you're supposed to show up in the world this way, not the way you want, because you just proved it to yourselves. I get chills every time I get to tell that story, but it was one of the most moving moments in my entire career. I typically get a lot of kids coming up afterwards asking questions and, hey, that's what happens. I was there almost three hours after that talk. Whoa. Surrounded by kids asking questions. Most of them weren't even LGBTQ. What did you do? When did you discover you weren't supposed to be who you were? And it was so interesting because suddenly it laid the groundwork for everywhere else I was going to go because I'm like, hey, like a lot of you, I was a sophomore in college, second year. And I hated my major, but I was there because mom and dad said this. In fact, I was at a college that mom and dad said, you're going to go to this because this is the college you need to go to. Wow. It's so interesting that everything fell into place. And then as that started to like, hey, this is really going to become the brand. And I was working with my own marketing person, even though I'm a marketing guy. I'm like, I'm too close to this. And suddenly Mm -hmm. it all just started click, click. And about a week later, her and I were working on stuff. And she goes, okay, so that's great for college kids. And now you can do this with LGBTQ. You can do it with college kids. She goes, but you said you'd really like to do this with entrepreneurs or small business owners at some point. She goes, how's that going to work? I said, because it's the same thing. I came out of the closet about being an entrepreneur. Right after I got the layoff, I can work that whole thing in. And it's all just woven together now, James. Yeah. But it's all centered in my rebellious heart of being myself. A hundred percent of the way. And you said you wrote a book. I saw your, is that your first book? The Frankly, My Dear? Yes. I'm Gay. Frankly, My Dear, I'm Gay is my first book. Second book is literally, it's written. I am shopping it right now to agents and publishers, hoping for 2024 to give me a, okay, here we go. Yeah. Going. I don't care if it goes big time. I would just like to not do it myself. Right. But I will do it myself. I've spent the last three years working on this book, not all three years solid, but I, I, it's book proposals together and all that sort of stuff. But, and it's based in the work of what does it mean to be truly unapologetic? That's the name of the book. That's great. And when you did write your first book, it, it's part memoir. It says part right. self-help. What's some of the feedback? What are some of the stories that you've heard from men who have taken that book, applied some of the concepts to their lives and just had to get in touch to let you know what happened next. It was just a couple of weeks ago, somebody reached out to me and kind of epitomizes what I feel really blessed to hear the most is I just read your book. Most of the time it's, I just started reading your book and I feel like you're right in my head. I feel like you're reading every thought I'm having, but you're also giving me the courage to realize 
it's time for me to be me. Even though it's messy and even though it's scary and even though like in anything in life, James, there is no predicting what's about to happen. I've had clients who they come out and spouses are like, okay, I want you to be happy. Let's figure this out and let's move forward. Seeing the opposite extreme, get out. I never want to see you again. You're done. Mm. You never, regardless of what the direction is, to me, there's nothing more powerful than you being yourself. And throughout that book, and I'm not going to say it's an award-winning book, but it sure is, it sure has gotten in some pretty good hands and people have used it as their guidebook. And if nothing else, it's helped somebody go, I'm not alone. Mm. And that was the whole intent. Even when I wrote it, there was no intention like, oh, let's make this some big thing. It was just another supplement to the work I do. Yeah. It's interesting because I've had a lot of heterosexual friends read the book and they're like, it spoke to me mm. in so many different ways about my own journey of who I am, about understanding the struggles that LGBTQ people have. One friend of mine who is not a, I'm not like a, hey, we talk all the time, but we're acquaintances. And she said, I never realized the concept, I heard you say it a lot, but she goes, I never realized the concept of everybody's got closets till I read your book. And everything you were talking about, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me in this situation. Or, oh my gosh, it's me in this situation. Or, oh my God. She goes, I have for so many years just wanted to stand up to my mom. And she, she was a 50 year old woman at the time that she shared this with me and just say, mom, I'm a 50 year old woman. I think I've got <laughs> this figured out. And I said, why haven't you? And she goes, I did because of your book. Oh, and again, it had nothing to do with sexuality, Jay. Right. It was just about. I was going to say, if you take the sexuality piece out of it, 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 every person, I know every person I've talked to on any kind of a, a deeper level, any friend, they do have those things that they just are so afraid to bring up about themselves, yep. having nothing to do with sexuality. And right. I could see where that would speak to a lot of people. It's also interesting, James, too, to see how that can intimidate people. And I never realized it until I actually got on some pretty big stages. I was speaking a few years ago, probably about 3,500, 4,000 people. And I was like, okay, this is the biggest crowd I've ever done this with. And okay, am I really going to go here? Because I knew this crowd really well because it was a conference that I had been to many times. Felt really great. Felt, whoa, I'm finally like, wow, I'm in my speaking. I'm in my speaking heels, as I like to say. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I am walking that runway and I'm doing this. And it's, wow, I can't believe we got here. And somebody came up afterwards and told me what a jerk I was. Uh -huh. And I said, you know what? I know that. And thank you for acknowledging that. And thank you for letting me move you to share that. And that's all I said. And that person didn't know what to do. <laughs> Here's what I know. Yeah. This is human nature. If something moves us that much, there's something within ourselves that pushing a button about some part of us that wishes we could do that. I happened to have a friend who knew this person who came to me like two days later in the conference and she goes, that wasn't about you. I said, I know that wasn't about me. She goes, this person has been agonizing over everything you said on stage for the last two days because they were sharing a hotel room. And she said, I finally turned to her and said, this has nothing to do with Rick. This has to do with everything that's going on for you personally, right? And it was such a powerful moment because two days later after the conference ended, I got an email from that person. I know I came at you after the talk and you're right. It's all about me. And I realized in the last few days, I've really thought about the things you've said that you ticked me off because I want to be more authentic. And so it's just, it's interesting. And again, I don't share this stuff, James. Oh, Rick's this guru. I don't see myself. As, I see myself as just being who I am. There's, and sometimes it doesn't work, man. 
Yeah. Sometimes it's some people say, oh, you're such an egomaniac. I'm like, I'm just telling my truth. I'm sorry. If, sometimes you sometimes touch a nerve. Authenticity is just hitting the nerve. Yeah. Sometimes you hit that nerve and it comes out as anger in people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it comes out as fear. And sometimes mm -hmm. it comes out as, wow, I've got all these opportunities now. And it's almost not that you can give them permission to do what they feel like they need to do, but you can definitely give them permission to start thinking about it a lot more, or you can give them that inspiration and that perspective of your own experience, which is probably what is so helpful to a lot of your coaching clients. So if we can, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about maybe the commonalities of people who do come to you for coaching. Mm -hmm. And where are they in the journey? Are they in the part of the journey where they're thinking, okay, I've got this thing I need to bring out into the world and I want some guidance how to do it? Are they looking for support in the way of technique or how to go about it or just general guidance? It's all over the board. Okay. People come to me from all different spots. I'm going to start with coming out and then I'm going to mirror what it looks like in like other areas. So people are usually in the coming out process. They're either like, I think I might be gay, but I'm not really sure. So I need to sort out what this sexuality thing is. Second okay. stage is I know I'm gay, but I'm just, I'm not ready to really talk about it, but I want to be more comfortable in my own skin. Third stage is I'm totally comfortable. I just need some help. And hey, how do I finally make this big move? So just take those contexts, right? So now watch what happens. I got to use a particular client as an example. I know I really don't want to continue to have my own law practice, but I don't know what that looks like. And I'm really afraid to go explore anything else. Mm. By the time I got into stage two, he's like, okay, I'm really accepting that I don't want to be in law and I need to explore this other thing. But I'm letting money and stature and all this sort of stuff get in my way. But I know I'm ready to make a move. I'm just not quite ready to make a move. By the time I moved him to his third stage, he's, yes, let's go. Let's go put the plan together. I have figured it out. I know the kind of stuff I want to be doing. So do you see how real life parallels this entire same thing? The first version was all around sexuality, but the second version is all around like a career move. Totally. And everybody yeah. who plays in that space. One of the things that I find most interesting, and this is actually straight out of one of my talks, is helping people, and you used the word permission just a few minutes ago. My whole talk around leap out of your status quo life is about, number one, giving yourself permission granted to do the thing you want to do. Number two, aligning that permission to your values and beliefs, not everybody else's. Because as you align it to your values and beliefs, then guess what you're capable of doing? You're capable of the third step of choosing to do it your way. And that's the core essence of my coaching. There's like a six-step process I go through, but people meet me a lot of places. Some people are like, yeah, I've already told, already told my spouse I'm gay and, and I'm trying to be more accepting of who I am in my own world. Cool, you're in that middle space. Or I've already decided I'm going to leave my job. I've got a plan of what it's going to cost and how, how much runway I need. I've got two guys right now. I'm actually working with that. Yeah, they happen to be gay men, but they didn't come to me about coming out. They came to me about, we're going to go make big, huge career transitions. I'm going to walk. One guy in particular is walking away from literally corner office, very high six-figure income because he's, I just need to be passionate and purposeful about what I want to do in life. Whoa. But it's so interesting when you see they were hiding this in a closet. They just wanted to bring it to life, hmm. but they're really unsure of how to make it happen. And so what I do in my work is help them get really tied into their core essence again, 
We work through the fears. We work through the different excuses. We work through what would it look like on the other side, even though we can't predict it. But there's something interesting, James, when you start to unravel that and give people those permission spaces and they get to dream a little bit and they get to think beyond, oh, I can't do that. Because what's the first thing we most say if we want to do something? Oh, I want to lose weight. I can't. I've tried before. I want to save more money. I've tried that before. Something like The first thing we do as humans is we say what we want and then we immediately start saying exactly why we can't do it. Listing all the reasons. So that brings up when you are working with a coaching client, whether it's about their career, whatever closet they're trying to come out of with that particular thing that applies to them. How do you help them give themselves permission, dump their excuses, face their fears? What are some of the techniques or some of the conversations really that you have to have? And I know everyone's different, so everyone's going to have a little bit of different trigger. One of the things that is most important is the middle thing that I just brought up, the values and beliefs. We do some deep work around, okay, if you value integrity, how are you acting in that? Mm. Where's the gap? If that's a big value, but you say your actions like, and I do, that's actually the first thing I do with every client. We do this values assessment where, so let's just say, James, integrity is really high for you, but your actions, so it's a 10, but your actions are at a three. That's going to be a big, I hate to say red flag to me, but it's going to be like, whoa, Mm. there's something in here. So we start to work on, hey, why is integrity important to you? And if it's that important to you, why is the action against that so low? Now, it's not going to be low in every area of life. You may be somebody who's married and you're highly in integrity. You could never see yourself cheating on your spouse. But in your health and wellness, it's really high integrity to take care of yourself. But everything you do is eating crappy foods, Mm. sugar consumption, alcohol consumption. So there's a mismatch here. So that's where we start to do the work. Let's realign Anything that's high, if anybody's got, and not everybody has high tens, but I'm going to say if somebody's scoring seven, eights, or nines on their values and their action against them are seven, eights, and nines, I'm going to use that as, hey, James, you said integrity is a seven, eight, nine for you, and you're acting on that. So how can we take that same energy and exuberance around that and move it over here to honesty or health or whatever it is? Mm. Because you already know how to do this. The thing is, most of us already know how to do everything we're going to do because we've already done it. But we compartmentalize this stuff and go, we can't do that. Oh, it's different. (laughs) So that's one of the big things that I really work with is let's close the gaps. I'm always looking for what's the story? Hmm. What is the story you're telling yourself that's become part of your DNA? It's always there. No matter what you do, it's always there. It's such an interesting thing when we start to change the stories and I challenge them to rewrite the story. And sometimes I literally, this work, week's homework is you're going to go rewrite the story around that, like physically write the story and send it to me for our next session. A lot of times, James, the biggest piece is we lack confidence. If you really think about everything that we don't do as humans, it's because we lack the confidence to believe that we can do that. It's that simple. And there's so many other layers in there too. Those are some of the big things is trying to break the false stories, build up some confidence and then redirect the energies. Because again, like my coming out clients, I don't know how I'm going to have this big conversation. I'm like, really? Let's think about this. Did you have a big conversation with your spouse about getting married? Check. Did you have a big (laughs) conversation about buying your first home? Check. Did you have a big conversation about having a child? Jack, did you have a big conversation about you changing careers or her changing careers and who was going to be the breadwinner? Check. Mm. We've all had big conversations. 
This one is just another big conversation with a little bit of stickiness to it, but we need to lean into, we've done some of this before. And that's the kind of thing. If I was coaching you, I'm like, so James, you started a podcast. That's a pretty big adventure. Now you want to go on this other adventure. So what did you learn about starting the podcast? That was a big adventure, a big challenge that we can bring in to you wanting to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yeah. Because there's going to be some similarities. You had a dream. You pushed. Why is that important to you? That's one of my big questions. I'm a big, huge fan of Simon Sinek and start with why, mm. because I think it's just such a beautiful essence of getting to the root of the cause. If we can't answer why, and if we can't answer what, mm. if I want to be out of the closet and living fully and freely and authentically, what does my life look like? I don't know. Yes, you do. Because you've been thinking about this. So let's focus on what it's going to be that you get to experience on the other side versus I don't know how to get there. I, it, no, let's get that energy around what it's going to be. I'm going to be free. I'm not going to have to lie anymore. I'm not going to have to live a dual life. I'm actually going to get to be with somebody I want to be with. That's such a different energy than, yeah, but it, man, it's going to be so hard. It's going to break hearts. Yes, yes, I know that. So those are the kind of things I try to do as a coach. I really like that because one of the huge things that got me to create this podcast, have these conversations in the first place is people being the author of their own story. There's a quote and I forget, I'm going to need to go see who wrote this quote, but it said, when you're writing the story of your life, don't let someone else hold the pen. And so yep. many people do that in all sorts of categories of their lives, relationships, careers, sexuality. And sometimes people live up to those expectations until the point they can't anymore. Yeah. And that's when they might reach out to someone like you. If there's someone listening who wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I literally just go to my website, Rick Clemens, C-L-E-M-O-N-S.com. You're going to see it's very gay men centric, but that doesn't mean that's all I work with. You can hop in and there's a on the coaching pages, it said, yeah, I'd like to schedule a strategy session just to talk through and go, what does this look like? How does it feel? The other way they can do it is reach out to me on any of the social media, Instagram, it's the Rick Clemens. You can be on my site, send me a little, hey, contact, just say, hey, Rick, I heard you on Joyful Rebellion. Would love to chat with you. There's many ways. And one of the things that I always try to help people really see, and it's actually, James, one of the last things I say when I get the privilege of being on a stage is this may be your moment. The moment that you finally realize that the truth of who you are is far more powerful than the false truth you're pretending to be. Mm. So let's go show the world who you really are. Because yeah. if we're hiding our truth and pretending we're not living, we're existing. Man, I'll leave it right there. I was going to ask another. Actually, I am curious if you could tell people if they're interested in hearing your podcast, which, sure. yeah. So I have two. They're my babies. <laughs> they can't, they got birthed. Actually, my life uncloseted got birthed out of a casual conversation with a friend who had a, so it started as a radio internet show. And she's like, I'm so tired of doing it. Why you should do in a radio internet show. I'm like, I have no interest, not at all. She goes, Oh, come on. She goes, but well, you should do it. You, you got a great voice. You're funny. You're I'm like, Nope, don't want to do it. She kept pushing. <laughs> and so then we decided, let's do a show together because I'm the guy, mm -hmm. guy who came out late in life. She's the Catholic girl who got a divorce and went through some stuff. I'm like, cool, mm -hmm. we could figure out a, we could figure out something. And then she said, I just don't want to do it. By then I was, let's do this. So I took it over. Interestingly enough, it was only 20 episodes. And then I decided, okay, that was cool, but I don't really want to do it. And then 
the company went under and I got my shows back. And then I met a guy by the name of John Lee Dumas. Any of your readers mm. or listeners might know of who he is, Entrepreneur on Fire guy. Yeah. Met him, saw him speak at a kind of an adult entrepreneur play camp where there was just so many ideas flowing and everything. And he said, why don't you just start the podcast again and take all those past radio shows and slice and dice them? And I'm like, okay. And that's how that one began. Mm. Stumbled into that prior to the pandemic. I decided I really wanted to do something for men, just men. Really wanted to talk to men in general because I think a lot of what as a gay man I've gone through, men in general go through about being who they are and all this stuff. So I started a podcast called 40 Plus because I'm a 40 plus year old guy, 40 plus real men, real talk. Shortly after the pandemic started, I realized, hey, I'm going to start having a social group. We're going to do a Zoom call. Worked out pretty cool. First time there was like 25 guys that came on. I'm like, hey, for the first one, that's not bad. By the time I got to the third one, I'm like, there's something interesting about this group. Hmm. I think they're all gay men. But I'm like, I don't want to call it out that way. But I'm <laughs> right. like, so I figured it out. I figured out, yes, a majority of them were. And then I asked the question. I said, so how prone are you to listen to this podcast if there's not a lot of gay content? We'll listen every once in a while, but we sure would prefer if it was more just geared towards us. And literally, James, within a week, I had rebranded the entire podcast and said, hey, here's what we're doing. We had 60 episodes in by that point. I said, I feel like really compelled to talk to my community and my guys and living my own experience around this. So 40 plus gay men, gay talk became the podcast. Life on Closet is the one that's been around the longest. Hmm. And I've had lots of people, Life on Closet took a interesting twist where four years ago, I said, I want to tell more coming out stories about life's coming out closets. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've had people from all walks of life on the show. One of my favorite stories out of the Life Uncloseted world, once we switched over to telling bigger stories, was a lady that I met through my other coaching practice, who was the last survivor pulled out of the Oklahoma City bombing. Hmm. And her and I were talking, she was becoming a speaker, and I, I coached professional speakers in my other world. And she started telling me her story, and I said, but you would probably be a really great guest. She was a big woman. She had not got anything other than a GED, no college, no nothing. She worked in the credit union in on the main floor of the building when the bombing happened. During that time being buried, she said, God, if you get me out of this, everything's going to change. That was her coming out story. She has now ran five or six Ironman marathons. She went wow. from 350 pounds to about 160. She got her MBA and she is now CEO of that credit union. That's oh, a huge coming out story. That's pretty big story. Yeah. And wow. so I feel really humbled and blessed that so much of this has come into my life in a way that much like yours, you're starting to feel what you get to experience with having the podcast to just give people something, whether it's I'm not alone or some bit of hope or something when it's one of their worst days going, okay, if that can happen, I can make this happen. Mm-hmm. And so those are my two podcasts. I appreciate you asking about them and let me share a little bit about the background of where they all came from. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about people's stories because there are so many ways people hold themselves back. And it's always inspiring to hear the people who just decided to break through and yes. make it happen. And it's a lot of hard work. I mean, that she didn't lose over 150 pounds, it sounds like. That didn't yep, just yep, happen yep. by accident and it didn't fall off one day. And she wasn't running Ironman. It was a process. And yep. those are inspiring to hear. And absolutely, Rick, I really appreciate you being here, taking the time 
to be on the podcast and share your story with everyone. Yeah, thank you so much. I've, I've loved it. I, I love getting to do these. It's a, again, it's a very humbling experience to be a podcaster and to be a guest on somebody's podcast. It's always fun. Always fun. So thank you so much, James, for letting me be part of your work. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and be sure to come back next week. Oh, and can I ask a favor? I love connecting with people who have either led their own joyful rebellion or professionals who help others through that journey. So if you know someone like that, there's a big yellow button on the homepage at ajoyfulrebellion.com. I'd really appreciate you reaching out with a suggestion or introduction. Thanks again, and I'll see you back here next week.